I'm wrestling, you're not weak for me. Celebrate what I am. Celebrate what I have been. Celebrate what I represent. And celebrate the many ways I have impacted your life. I will survive this test as I have survived others. I am forever etched into the very fiber of all mankind. The world needs me. Time is on my side. History guarantees me. I am wrestling. Do not wait for me. What's up, everybody? This is Ben Askren, and we are on episode 37 of the T-Row and Funky Show. Our last episode, episode 36, it turns out you guys loved it. The ratings went way up. That was the top 10 American wrestlers of all time. We've gotten lots of feedback. So, Tommy, you got any feelings about the feedback you've been getting on that list or what? I mean, it sounds like more people think I'm right than you. I mean, other than that, other than that. <laughs> you know, people, I mean, people, got, they're not at my level, so they had, they had a hard time wrap, wrapping their mind around the Kyle Day. I'm point. getting a lot of congratulatory, you know, remarks on text message and Twitter and Facebook and all kinds of stuff. No, but seriously, serious, <laughs> seriously, I think our viewers for the first time had as much fun as we did. Yeah, it was and, good. And um, so I'm happy about that and showed with uh, the amount of listeners we had, which was cool. And then, you know, I just think it's a cool list. I don't think it gets talked about enough. I think we need to transcribe our list. We could talk about it more. We should make some other lists. I, I told Piles to transcribe it. And I know we're going to do a college top ten after uh, college top ten after um, after the Olympics. I got a good one for you I was thinking about today. And it might be a way to throw myself in there because I, I don't think I make college top ten. Sad, I know. Well, how about I was going? I was going through mine, Ben, which we're not going to do tonight. But sure. I was going through mine, and you're, you might make mine. I haven't Ooh. decided yet. You're close. I'm close. You're close. Hey, you you're know, like you're on the teeter. Okay. You know what? You know one that I that I think I could put myself on, and maybe let's think what we should do this one. But it it is also very systemized. So it's top ten college seasons ever. That oh, would yeah. be a fun one. You'd be in there. Um, we'll actually, do some research. I mean, but. You know, obviously, like Dan Gable's junior season, that was pretty historic. Um, a few, few of David Taylor's seasons were pretty freaking amazing. Um, but that would be fun. I, I would actually like doing some research on that topic because uh, um, it would be interesting to see how dominant people were in the past. Yeah, no, I, I, I would, I would uh, love to do that. Who do you think? Who else comes to your mind right away? I would like to check most out most dominant season. G- Wade Chalice and Gene Mills, because obviously they. They're number one and two in pins, so they had to have some very dominant seasons. Um, but I don't know what their records look like exactly, so I'd have to try to go back and research that. You know, I, I think we need to think more about that. Um, man, I want to do that. I do want to do that, but that takes a lot more research. <laughs> you got to put. Uh, I think a lot of people will be put calling Mark, me out. Put Mark Neiman on that one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, exactly. Mark, Mark, give me, give me, you know, give me your top twenty, and then you can <laughs> sift through it and see what you think. I think there was a heavyweight named Howard Harris from um, Oregon, I, Oregon State, maybe, and I want to say he got like forty-two out of forty-eight pins in, in a season, so, something insane like that. Because I always remember my senior year, I was trying to kind of match a season like that, and I, I remember thinking like forty-two of forty-eight. Good God, how did he pin? Pretty amazing. People? It really Pretty is. Amazing. Really is. So what do we got, man? What do we got on on, on tap tonight? Well, we got we got Olympics. So we've been through the entire Greco portion and the entire freestyle women's portion. 
We got men starting tomorrow, so there's JB and Dennis are up, up tomorrow morning. Which means nobody's going to listen to our podcast tonight. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they'll probably <laughs> throw us in time tomorrow. But I think this is, yeah. a, I think this is a good break for us because we get to hit the first two styles. Um, and the next week we can kind of focus mainly on the men's freestyle, which is where I think our, our listenership um, kind of – uh, would would lean towards men freestyle more than the other two styles, but we did yeah. have a gold medalist today. So yeah, and I do I do want to say Ben before we get into this because I think we've got some similar comments because we shared what we thought of Greco and women so far. I mean, we don't talk about them at all. We made that choice, so you know I don't want to I don't want us to appear as experts because if we were, we would have brought up you know the Olympic trials and things of that nature. Sure. Well, I mean, I might not be an expert, Tommy, but I still got some opinions. And you know, you, you know a thing or two that. about the sport. Uh, um, wow. So uh, where do we start? The first three days were brutal. We were actually people don't. I mean, every day was brutal until today, and today was semi-brutal. I would say today was emotional. emotional yeah. So, um, yeah. Let's just start with today because today was a good day. Obviously, Helen Rulis, congratulations first. That's the first women's freestyle Olympic gold medalist. Um, pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And you know what? A lot of people thought it was going to be Adeline Gray, including myself. Um, she's been very dominant thought recently. thought she was going to get it done. I mean, Ta- uh, um, I'll tell you, I turned on. You got to work for real. So, I, But I get to play around on my computer and watch matches. You're working for real. Well, yeah. Well, you, it, it, it was inter- for real. In, intermittently, I work. So, um, <laughs> But I can, t- I can turn my work off for a wrestle match here and there. So, uh, Tommy, I'll tell you, I turned uh, Adeline Gray on her first match day. It was an early match. And I saw this look in her eye. And I'll tell you exactly who she looked like. She looked like Kale Sanderson in the 2004 trials. In Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. This this look of, oh, shit, everyone thinks I'm supposed to win. This right. is too much pressure. I don't really want to be here. Um, and, and, you know, I it's, don't know. That I mean, case. it's I don't know if you can say that it's happened to you, Ben, but that's happened to me. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, not a lot, but it's yeah. happened to me. Yeah. When? When? What was the match? Uh, it happened to me my freshman year of high school at the state tournament. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. I wouldn't say that everybody w- expected me to win or wanted me to win. I'm just saying that I underperformed because the pressure got to me. Wow. Um, that's the biggest one for me. It's yeah. happened. I think I, I've obviously I've underperformed for you know at, at the Olympics. I under, I definitely yeah. underperformed it, and the reason there I think was I, I I was too aggressive and had bad strategy. Yeah, I, w- I would say. Uh, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say. I know that I underperformed at the 08 trials, but I wouldn't say it was because the walls were closing in on me or anything like that. Yeah. Like I think I felt my freshman year high school, and like I think you say, Adeline might have looked. All I'm saying is that it happens to sure a lot of people. Yeah. A lot. Definitely. And so, um, but you know what? It kind of appeared to me because Helen didn't have the same burden on her. And I, I, I want to say, I, I, I think those two are pretty close. I don't know for sure, but I think they are. I almost wonder if some of the pressure that was on Adeline relieved some of the pressure that was on Helen because Helen didn't compete with the same burden that Adeline did. And you could just tell Adeline wasn't, and, and I haven't watched a hundred of her matches, but I've watched I've watched to, enough to know that typically she's more aggressive than she was today. And um, Adeline was the favorite. Yes. I don't think Helen was the favorite, obviously. Yeah. So that, that changes the whole dynamic, too. Yeah, that, that definitely does. And, and I want to say Adeline won the last two world championships at the same weight class. 
Um, and Helen was at one of those weight classes where it was split. I think mm-hmm. she won at 55 kilograms last year, and then the weight class this year was 53. Um, so she came down, and Yoshida was obviously this uh, the best the best ever, I, I guess. Apparently, you know, I don't follow women's wrestling, but everyone was saying she was the best ever. And, but all, all day, Helen was very aggressive, very tough, very stingy with her positioning. Um, and just she was in there to fight, and, and she got it done. It was a great performance. Um, you know, all around, uh, all through, all four, I believe she had four matches. All four matches that I watched hers, I, I was impressed with her. Absolutely. I got to see some of the highlights. I have to admit I haven't watched any of the matches because I went right from work to, oh, just kid stuff. Your boy but, started school. That's pretty Yeah, sweet. we got a bunch of stuff going on. So anyways, I, I've followed religiously. I've read all about it. I, I feel like I've done everything besides watch the actual match. And from what I'm gathering, what you're saying is all true. Seems like uh, Elena, who lost in the bronze medal when she was up 3-0 and got headlocked, was somewhat defensive today, not not overly aggressive like she I, like she has been in the past. So I haven't watched enough of her to know how aggressive she is or is not, but she she definitely was not aggressive today. Um, she was she was even losing her first match and came back and scored four consecutive crotchless for eight points to win 10-5, I think, in that first round or so, somewhere in that in that area. Uh, maybe it was ten seven. Maybe the girl got a takedown at the end. Uh, but she definitely was not very aggressive, uh, you know, as I was seeing. So, but you know, overall, women's gets a gold medal. That's fantastic. I, you know, obviously, I think a lot yeah, of people. I hope that NBC does something with it tonight. What's your prediction? Yeah, I would say they do because I think Helen's also got a look that's very marketable. Meaning she's very pretty. I mean, that's marketable. <laughs> have to look lie at about you, that, Ben, dude. saying nice things. Well, it's true. I mean, I would saying? tend to, I tend to agree with you and. Sadly, that that matters in terms of what NBC's putting on that the That matters. So, um, I mean, I shouldn't say sadly, just, you know. That's, that's just a fact of life. That's some the way people, it is. So people want to know. Some I'm hoping people, they film her. Yeah, I would I mean, say. That'd be good for us as a sport. That would. I think, I mean, and, and being the first one ever, I think, uh, I think they will. I'm in, man. Let's do it. Okay, so the first three days, Tommy, um, they were not quite as good <laughs> As today, and I, you know, I don't know about the Greco. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, it, it tends to be kind of boring. And the other thing I hate about it is that there's so much ref's discretion. I mean, in in a lot of the American matches, I felt like it was like, okay, this guy's this guy's stalling, put him down. Oh, that guy's stalling, put him down. And there was not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. And I want to say that even the Ben Provisor match. He, he was winning two to one. I believe he had a push out and a caution and the other guy had a push out maybe. And, and he had just gotten, uh, you know, uh, so, so in, in Greco, it's, it's a caution for, it's a warning the first time they're passive. Second one, it's caution and a point and they have to go down. There's forced parterre, right? Mm-hmm. So he's more aggressive. He's getting this guy wore out. And they put him down, so he's up 2-1. They put the other guy down, he's up 2-1. And I feel like Ben was pushing the pace again. I mean, he was putting the pressure on, right? It's our – the the whole – I mean, my beef, you know, it stinks that the Americans didn't do good at all. But to to the point you're getting at, it's just an arbitrary wrestling match when you watch Greco to me. Yeah, well, that – to my point – so then I, I felt like Ben was pushing the pace just like he was before the last time. So then they say Ben's stalling and they put him down. And I'm like, what? how did that go? Yeah, like, it's, it's just it's just arbitrary. You know, I yeah. was at a uh, I was at a school function that my daughter and son are going to go. Uh, their school starts next week. So we were at a, 
like an open house or something, eating pizza with all the parents and stuff like that. And I had a friend of mine who was an all-Ohio baseball player and just a smart guy, loves watching sports, loves watching the Olympics. And it's funny how he, how he talks about um, Greco, Ben. He he watched it during the day on the tube. Yeah. And and he said, you know, he he appreciated wrestling so much without knowing what was going on or knowing the rules at all. Yeah. And so in a sick and twisted way, as ashamed as I am of the fact that he didn't know what was going on or how the points were scored, to me it shows the the nucleus of something that can be marketable. If presented properly. Yeah. Well, because you've got a grown man watching a sport in just basically awe of what's happening, even though he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sure. so it's like, in a way, it's like, yeah, we don't have any fans. And I got a guy that didn't even know the names of the wrestlers and just said his, but he was also speaking about it in admiration. And I just, I don't think he was blowing smoke. You know, he's a friend of mine. So I th- if he thought it stunk, I think he would have told me. Yeah, and and to me, you know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, not not related to our podcast, but to me, well, it's all it's all related because what's dis- what's disappointing is that I don't even follow the Greco rules. I mean, I'm always asking questions in my own head to my buddies to the left listen, and right of me. I called Joe Warren yesterday, freaking Greco world champion. Right. He, he was very skeptical of the rules. He's like, ah, they just changed him again. It's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, I mean, we're talking a Greco freaking world champion. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you rules. have it. So, uh, well, yeah, so this provisor match, so they put him down, and he gets freaking lifted and thrown. And so then he's down 6-2. to two. He puts the rush on. They give another caution in one. So it's 6-3. to three. Then the guy's stalling so bad, the, the ref on the mat goes caution in two. Right? Right. Uh, but then they didn't confirm it, and then the match is over. But it was like it was. I, I couldn't understand why he got put down. Um, and that's obviously where the Americans struggled. Robbie Smith also was he. I think he was winning, um, and then he got uh, he got put down and got gutted four times. And same thing as Provisor. I sure thought he was being more aggressive. Um, and I know they're very specific about where you put your head and whatnot. But to to what I was watching. Smith was being the aggressor, and they just put him down because, like you said, it's arbitrary. They got to put somebody down. And it's then just arbitrary. I tell you, let's talk about something in Greco that's just amazing. What's that? Mihayan Lopez. Well, you just like him because he's a heavyweight. I don't like that. Listen, <laughs> that dude. He's thirty three now, and he's still a freak. He just he's won his third amazing. Olympics. How many world won titles? Well, he's, eight eight golds. But he sold a few of them. I don't know if he sold many. He look- they said he sold that one it, the, against the guy he had in the Olympic finals. They said he sold that one in Turkey. I want to say 2011, maybe. I mean, it's not going to shock me. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't happen with Cubans and Eastern Bloc countries. I'm just yeah. saying I didn't know he got a silver. Anything he got a silver in, I feel like he got bought. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No, no one's <laughs> That's how good he is. He got a silver in 06 in Istanbul. He got a silver in Guangzhou. Um, that that very well could not be a bot title because that was very early on in his career. Um, oh, six, he, let's see this. Well, he won. He won oh eight. He won. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. He got silver in Istanbul. And that was the one they said he got paid for. Well, that was when he was in his prime. And the, this guy. Who the hell did he lose to? Guy, who did he guy, lose to last year? I feel like even now, but like when Lopez was in his absolute prime five or six years ago. I think, and I don't 
you know, I don't know much about football, Ben, but I think you could put him on the defensive line on day one, day one in an NFL football game and say, Mihayan, go get that guy that's going to get the ball. <laughs> and, and I think by the end of the game, you'd be saying this dude's going to the Pro Bowl. I With, mean, I, don't I, you think? I don't necessarily disagree. It might take more than one game, but I, think like, I disagree with the concept. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe well, one, you know, three. another thing people, and it's been rumored, but obviously it's not true. It's been rumored many times that he's, uh, he was going to Florida and he was going to train MMA, which, I mean, that guy in an MMA ring, good God. Uh, oh my God. So he lost to the Turk last year. He got paid off twice. He lost to the Turk in 2015 and 2011. That's the dude he beat. Um, yeah. He the got other day, paid. like he six got or eight paid. to nothing, right? I'll tell you what happened yesterday. Then it's pretty, what I, it's tell pretty you what simple. I like about Mihain, though the what best is that? is that he's not for sale as much as the other Cubans. Well, no, I'll tell you. I'll Look tell at you all the golds he has. Okay, but I'll he tell could, you he could have taken fifty grand every year. You know what I mean? No, it's you know it's it's a, it's a negotiation, Tommy. Here's what happens: like in eleven, they say, "Hey, man, we'll pay you twenty grand," and he says, "All right, cool. Here's the gold medal." Then twelve, he's like, "Well, this year it's going to be a hundred. And they say, "No." He's like, "All right, I'm beating all your asses then." And then, you know, and then in fourteen, he beats him again because they didn't offer the right amount of money. In fifteen, well, they're probably like, "Okay, this is a world's not an Olympics, so we'll give you like seventy. And he's like, "All right, fine." And then last week, they're like, "Okay, two days ago, they're like, how about a hundred? He's like, "It's going to be two hundred this time." And then they walked, and they said, "All right, you're going to lose. That's how it is." But he didn't wrestle in 2013. What happened there? He got hurt or something? No idea. I, th- I think that – was that the year where there was rumors but it wasn't publicized that some some Cubans got busted for doping? No, they got what? busted for throwing matches. That was when Salas got suspended, remember? Okay, so well, there you have it. Maybe he had to maybe sit one out. for 11, for 2011 maybe. Yeah. Because I believe Salas set that year. Oh, no, Salas took – well, you're just 13 Listen, solid. this dude, this dude, if he goes four more years and he lays out three golds and a silver, couldn't you argue that he had a better career than Corellin? I think we're already getting very close. I mean, Corellin yeah. won, he won three Olympics, correct? Yeah, he won a lot 92, of He won a lot of worlds. He, and he got silver in the last tournament of his career. I think Corellin still has had, results wise, a better career. I'm looking it up right now. If you can't hear me, yeah, too. I wonder why. Uh, I wonder why he wasn't there in 13. Mihan Lopez didn't show up. Um, hey, so what do you see? I'm sure you've seen on, on social media somewhere a few of these guys posting. Uh, you know, they post Cuba's weight room, and it's just this. And it's I've been to Cuba three times. Yeah, I, I was there once. So I mean, right? So we're, you know, the, the kind of moral of the story is you don't need a fancy weight room to freaking win. So what do you? What's your thing? Why is Cuba so freaking good? And and you know it's like Japan. Why is Japan so good at women's wrestling? They're not they're not that good. They're not bad at men's or Greco. But you know, I mean, if I could if I could pinpoint it and I could sell it, I I guess I'd sell it to the American wrestling leadership. I mean, it's somewhat of a riddle, right? But if I were to look at the the two biggest reasons Cuba's successful, it'd be um, one uh, socialism. And socialism in the sense that they yank these athletes, they identify talent um, at a young age, they pull them out of school, sure, sure. and they, 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 they train them like dogs until they're great. Um, and the talent pool is rich. 
So when you when you implement that system and you live in a society like that, um, you know, you 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 can yield results. Now to say that these guys are robots and they don't have a passion to be successful and a and a passion to win, I mean that's not true either. These guys are fierce fierce competitors. I'm not trying to say that they're manufactured robots off of the assembly line, but I think that Cuba is a country where free will is not necessarily present. So in the beginning stages in those critical ages of development and athletics, they pull these kids out and they, they take that assembly line approach and Cuba gets results because of it. Is that fair? No, that's, that's definitely fair. And I, you know, obviously well, you talked about some of the social issues, but obviously there's something wrong with it when you're seeing all these guys defect. I mean, Joe Romero defected. Uh, Hector Lombard, who's a, who's a judo Olympian, not an MMA fighter, defected. Chimizo defected. I heard Alexi from, Ro- Alexi Rodriguez. He had like eight or nine world yeah. medals in my weight class. And I heard I heard from Dora, the guy who beat me. The Olympics, I heard he Ivan from Dora. He defected. Did he? Um, okay. I think I think Quintana, Yandro Quintana, who won the Olympics in 04 at 60 kilos, he the was weight a class. Beast. Yeah. I think he's defected by now. Um, there's so, tons of them that defected. I I I would bet a thousand bucks that Lopez defects. Um, after he's done wrestling. So, I mean, I think that says a lot about their society when, I mean, the the GDP per person is, is very small, and these guys, especially when they're, they're getting paid off for some of these tournaments, are making significantly more than your average person, and they're still leaving. And they, and they, and they Well, here's the thing. They get to travel the world. They see freedom. Yeah. They yeah. see it. They taste it. And I think that's the struggle that the Cuban athletes have because Cuban people um, – well, one of the reasons they don't defect is because they live on an island and they can't. Um, they don't have the means to. But, like, yep. these athletes defect because they figure it out. They, they see what they don't have. Um, and so they, they bounce. Yeah, definitely. We're bounce. We, we, are, we are bouncing. We're all over the place. Me and you got ADHD. I got ADHD, <laughs> so it's not too big of a deal for me. Uh, well, what did you think about Cuba? What was your experience there? Holy uh, crap. I'm, now I'm looking at world results. Did you realize in 2014, Russia won five weights in a row in men's freestyle? Yeah, it's amazing. What the freaking heck? That's amazing. Good God. Okay, what did you think about Cuba? I thought it was the if there's if there's I, I've never had a more unique experience overseas than Cuba, and I would love to go back. Really? I thought, I thought it was awesome. I, I mean, didn't... it was it was a collision of cultures, a collision of, um, you know. Poverty, riches, history, you know, Caribbean climate, uh-huh. you know, unique people, amazing people, you know, sadness, a, a sad, destructive, you know, governmental policy, you know, 90 miles away from the most democratic, free, free market, free world country you could think of in the US. So just all those things, those things intrigue me. So when I'm, when I'm uh, at Hotel Nacional drinking a, mo- <laughs> drinking a mojito after the Cerro Pilato tournament, you know, maybe having a Cuban cigar, looking over the the promenade in Havana, Cuba. I mean, I feel like that's one of the cooler moments in my life, to be quite honest. Wow. So I can't wait to go back. I mean, what did really? you think? What did you think? Uh, you know, I had a good time, but I, I wouldn't say um, what I said. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say it with the same passion or vigor that you said. You I know? gave a pretty ringing endorsement. It, it was cool because it was like a, it was kind of like a time time warp. You know, you see all yeah. those old cars that they hadn't you know imported for fifty years ago, and 
Uh, we had a fun. Did you go to eat there. at that restaurant called the Floridita, which it, was Ernest Hemingway's favorite spot? It was right on the um, water. No, no, oh, okay. it was in the city. We went to one that was. It was in the city, but it was, it was right on the water. Um, there was this real. It was cool. Um, it was a good time. And then uh, you know, Royce Elger was. He was the hit of that trip. He was quite. He's humorous. always the hit of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we should? Uh, we got to have Royce on our show. That would that would be funny. I I don't know. If, well, it is a podcast, so we can just talk about whatever the hell we want, I guess. Yeah, we can do whatever we want. It's not like, you know, huh. we can do whatever we want. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, okay, so let's get back to Greco. So my man, it, yeah, yeah, so I, I, I went off on the sport. We, we we talked about Lopez. Let's just talk about the American performance, okay. which we haven't really. And then we got to talk about the Croatian versus the Russian, the choke-up situation. Oh, God, I, saw I did watch times. that, Ben. I watched that about 12 times. I showed a bunch of my friends at work, so I'm ready to talk about that. Well, here, let's just start with that. I put a technique video up on my Facebook page about why I'm pretty sure that the Croatian was attempting to choke him out before he flipped him over. Um, just from a jiu-jitsu standpoint, I can see what he was trying to do, and he was definitely trying to choke him. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, it's all the referee. The referee has to be more educated on what's going on in the situation because it's actually significantly easier to choke someone out in – a wrestling match than it is in grappling or jujitsu or MMA because the guy's trying not to flip over, mm-hmm. right? So if something is tight, he's just thinking, don't go over, as opposed to like, I don't have to defend for my life here because no one's trying to choke me out. But I'm pretty sure that Croatian guy was trying to choke him out. Um, they should have stopped it significantly before they did. They gave him the two points for the turn. They initially gave him the fall. They took the fall away. I thought they should have taken it all away and given a damn penalty point because he was attempting a chokehold. Uh, I've seen a lot of Greco guys say, that's a, oh, it's a good move. Uh, you know, it's legal. No, it's not freaking legal. You can't choke people out. Um, and I posted the technique video if you want to watch my further opinion on, on Facebook. Awesome. What you think? I didn't really – well, you know, I don't follow the whole choking deal too much. All I know is the dude was out. Um, <laughs> the dude was out before he went over and got pinned. I thought the right call was made, and I think it's amazing his recovery. I mean, amazing. Yeah, you know, is it, what's the legalities there? Having someone pass out and letting them wake up? Well, that's what I was like, telling my buddies at work. Like, I like, didn't think you could do that. Listen, if that happened in any other sport, if 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 somebody in the in the Super Bowl, like let's take the the greatest event in American sports, Ben, the sure. Super Bowl, and and. And and actually, I, you know, I have friends that would disagree and say WrestleMania is the the most okay, and, and <laughs> that's entertainment. Though. This uh, is a, okay. So and 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 a receiver flies across the middle, gets hit to the point where he's asleep for twenty seconds. Do you think he gets to finish the game? Uh, no. Yeah, it's just amazing. Wrestling's a different sport, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. I really I thought they were not going to let him get up. Um, wow. Yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. Um, okay, so Thilke, same thing, loses in parterre. Bicep loses in parterre. Um, America was not doing bad on their feet. Well, there's not a lot of scoring on your feet in Greco. It's a lot of pushing, but not a lot of scoring. There's just um, there's just not openings for it, right? Because they can stay so tight, and there's not a lot of dynamics to it. Um, and I talked to Joe Warren about this. I said, you know, what's the deal here? And he said... He said, whenever they change it back to force parterre, the foreigners have an advantage. That's what they've been doing since they were kids. Um, but if they don't do force parterre, the American guys can have an advantage because they can wrestle on their feet. And if they're not giving up takedowns, they don't have to defend that hard on bottom. 
So I thought that was an interesting perspective for Joe. He said, he, you know, his team in 2006 won the world championships in Greco, and at that point in time, there wasn't the forced parterre that there is today. Yeah. That was kind of his opinion. What else did Joe say? Oh, man, Joe went off. You know, I just called and said, hey, Joe, I want to be a little more educated on what you think about Greco. Give me, give me some stuff. And he, we, talk, we ended up talking for like 20 minutes about it. Um, that was one. He said uh, he said that since Greco has done poorly the last few years, that the, the, the USOC has cut funding for them. So, like, a lot of the guys living in the training center can't even eat in the dining hall. And he thinks that's an issue um, just because, you know, athletes are having to – Athletes are having to scrapple harder to get funding to, to keep competing. And, I've, you know, when, when an athlete has that in their life, they can't really focus exactly on nothing but their sport. they got to focus on outside things. Um, and then another interesting thing he said was, uh, you know, 10 years ago, Momir, who's, who's one of the good coaches out there, he said, you know, he could hop on the mat and, and he could give us that foreign feel that we, that we weren't really getting because we were getting the grinding and pushing just like Midland's giving them now. But we got that foreign, foreigner feel from him. And I, you know, right now that's not really happening. Momir got a little bit older, and they don't have another young foreign guy in there. So, you know, that was that was a few of the things that he said about the the performance. But obviously, he was he was very disappointed. Um, you know, when his team won the freaking world championships in twenty ten, I'm sorry, twenty oh six, to now, I, I, what they they won two and two and four um, overall in 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 results. So yeah. not a very good performance by any imagination. And this is coming from a guy who was on the world championship team in 07, which was, you oh, know. Was it 07? I said 06. Was it 07? 07 in Azerbaijan. The same year I was on the, I was on oh. the freestyle team. Okay. You took third that year or fifth? Me? I got fifth. Dang it. I lost the time. I was obviously pretty good Fuck for it. the rounds. Oh, I cussed. I'm not supposed to cuss on this show. <laughs> Oops. Uh, where are we going next? Well, hold on, I'm counting something. Give me, give me like ten seconds here. <laughs> I got, I got, I got. Then I got a trigger question for you. Dead air time. It's the last thing we should be doing right now, Ben. Okay, how many countries last year at the 2015 World Championships? How many former Soviet countries do you think won a medal? Last year. Last year. Uh, so it could be any style. Men's. Women's or or uh, Greco. So this is combined. Any a medal in any style. Well, there's only like seventeen Russian there's, countries. There's fifteen of them. Uh, I'm going twelve or thirteen. Twelve or thirteen. It was eleven. So you were close. That's a lot. That's a lot. And we should separate another episode on this because I've been in a text debate with Russ Hellickson, who's my, oh Russ. I've been in a text debate for days now about the dynamic of. Well, I mean, Russ and I both agree that we're not as good as we could be or should be, but just talking about the eras and the dynamics of what we have to deal with now with multiple Russian countries of the worlds and all this stuff, we should save another episode for it because it's pretty interesting stuff but it's harder now i mean i don't know what else i mean i think it's harder now i'm not saying we shouldn't be the best because we should be the best we should be the best okay in greco in 2015 in greco how many of the top 10 countries were former soviet uh soviet countries four six six of the top 10 how about in freestyle Five. 
four. So, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, freestyle, it was. Freestyle. Russia's number one. Azerbaijan. Georgia's number three. Azerbaijan's number five. And Ukraine's number nine. And in freestyle, in Greco, you got one, two, and three are all former Soviets. Number one's Russia, two's Azerbaijan, three's Ukraine, five's Kazakhstan, six is Belarus. So that's five of the top six countries in the world used to be Russia. I mean, all those used to be Russia. And then Kyrgyzstan is number nine. Think about that, Tommy. That's crazy, right? It's wild. I want to do another episode for it, Ben. I don't want to go off on this whole Russian thing. I want to get some data together and really have a real conversation. You had some good data, though, to to get this going, but... It well, needs to be talked about. And I messed up. I did tell you on the phone it was nine, and I messed up because I was counting the fifth placers. So there was in, – in men's Greco, there was – in the Olympics, seven different former Soviet countries won medals for a total of 11 medals. So I was wrong by, by a couple. But that's still quite a few when you're thinking there's only six weight classes, seven different countries winning a medal. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's our Greco talk. Um what did you think about the I and I know you watched it because you text me the I am Jordan. I thought it was incredible. Um, I think Jordan Burroughs, for everything that this guy's been through, he's matured so much from the time he entered the international scene to where he's at now. I think he's a genuine person. I think his story is incredible. I love the the editorial voice that Flow Wrestling has with telling the story about America's best athletes. I mean, these guys have improved the commercial viability of of our best athletes and make them more viable assets to people in in the wrestling community because of how they tell their stories. And to take Jordan Burroughs from the time he was like basically mid-high school until the time he won his first world championship, that period of time is when he underwent – foundational shifts in how he views the sport. I mean, his talent level didn't change. He was just as talented as he's 16 as he is now. That's, that is if talent exists. Is that, that is if talent exists. But he, <laughs> but he, but he just, I mean, to see what he, what he went through, which is what a lot of people go through. I mean, the, the, the transformational shift that Jordan had mentally in the sport, a lot of people have done. But they just haven't – it hasn't translated to being arguably the greatest American wrestler ever. So to watch that shift at that level, that mental shift, anybody can relate to that. I had my kid, my kids were watching it. Yeah. They were making comments about it that blew my mind. I'm like, this is a freaking teaching tool for my kids. And, and it, you know what I mean? I'm watching a video about Jordan Burroughs. So I think a lot about Jordan Burroughs. I always have. I think even more of them after watching that. And just kudos to Flow Wrestling. I mean, that was that was badass. And I don't cuss on our podcast like you do. I rarely cuss. I try to keep it clean on the MMA podcasts. They kind of encourage me to cuss, but uh, on this one, I try to keep it fairly PG because I know our listener base is, is fairly PG. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I I loved it, obviously, and I thought um, letting Jordan kind of narrate his own own story was very interesting, and it was interesting. Um, Listening to how his mindset changed because his mindset changed significantly, you know, over the course, like you said, over the course of that time. And, and one of the points I always make to our athletes at AWA here is that it, it's never too late. I mean, I, I go through the progressions I made year over year, and no one would have said I was going to be what I ended up becoming. But I mean, when we think about Jordan Burroughs, who is, is, if not is already, is likely to become the best American wrestler of all time. I you mean, think it's likely? Yeah. 
If not, he okay. if he already either he already is or he's going to be. I mean, one of the two. That's a yeah. fact. Yeah. Uh, so when you take the fact that he you know he didn't place at the Beast of the East his senior year, he was sixteen and thirteen as a college freshman. Those aren't best ever numbers, Tommy. They're just not. I mean, they're frankly they're not very good. I mean, hell, I did better than that as a freshman in college, and I lost ten matches. Um, <laughs> So, you know, when you see someone who's that late in their career, I mean, we're talking four years later, he wins a world title, right? Amazing. Four years later, and he was 16 and 13 as a college freshman. So, you know, when I'm giving the speech to kids like, hey, it's never too late. You can be whatever you want to be in the sport of wrestling because wrestling's so dynamic and there's so many ways to win and, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, Burroughs is a, is a very poignant example. The guy who's 16 and 13 as a college freshman and it's likely going to be the best wrestler ever in America. It's crazy. It's awesome, man. I would have liked to now if I can add if I can add in stuff, and hopefully maybe they'll do another piece on Jordan sometime because uh, you know we've talked about the ESPN thirty for thirties are they're probably my favorite series. They're about the only thing I watch on TV. I would I would like to see in a, in a Jordan Burroughs documentary like that. I would like to see some of the other American wrestlers, whether it's his era or just the best, the best of the best, giving more context to what he's done. Because mm-hmm. it's very easy for us as we're watching it for you and I who realize what he's doing, and you know, for for other for kids to say, oh, he's the world champion. But to realize, like, what he's doing and how he's doing it is so freaking amazing. Um, and then, I, you know, it might be lost on people 10, 15 years from now. It really could be. So I think if you could add some voices, and I think that's a, a thing that 30 for 30 does. They always add some outside voices in to kind of add yeah. a dynamic to telling the story. Right. Because, what, you know, what, I mean, just what we're talking about, 16 and 13 to an NCAA champion two years later. That doesn't happen, Tommy. It just doesn't. Right. Well, the, what you said to me, I've never heard it said 16 and 13 in college, four years later, world champion. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. There's no, there's no other way to describe it. So, um, you know, you, you know, he, and he said it, and you and I are going, well, good God, but that, that, that thought might not have the same meaning to a lot of other people. And I think one of the things 30 for 30 does great is that they add those contexts by, by having other people. So, you know, if you had you and I or, you know, or a brands or someone else who's coaching or working in that era talking about that, it would be um, be amazing. And it, even like Jordan's junior year, right, he wins the NCAA title. Michael Chandler was beating him twice in matches, right? And Michael, me. My, no, Michael Chandler was a one-time All-American. But, you know, one of the amazing things about Jordan is Jordan always found a way to win. He just found a way to win. That, and right. That's, that's why he is who he is, right? He found the ways to win. But yeah. so we're talking about he wins he wins a world title very shortly after that. I mean, it's not long after that he wins a world title. And Michael Chandler, as good of a wrestler as he was, he's still a one-time All-American when we're talking about you know the best American. We're ever. splitting hairs here, yeah. So the fact that he was losing to him twice is yeah. it is it is of note. Yeah, it, I think I think it's definitely of note. So just the progression he made year over year. I think um, obviously it, it was very entertaining getting to hear Jordan's words because. You know, and you know, one thing that else that struck me that's so interesting in there is like, and it, I get it as a, you know, I'm as a coach. Sometimes you forget how much meaning something you can you can say to a kid has to them, right? Right. Because it's so interesting listening to Jordan, and right now we're like, well, he's the best wrestler ever. You know, who he just he's just there, right? 
mm-hmm. you know, when he's younger and he, you know, the one time Manning says, I expect you to be a national champ next year. And he said, you know, that had such an effect on me. I said, I'm going to be, you know, like, wow, that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? It's amazing. I love what he said about Metcalf. What, he was an animal or a machine or? No, he I, said, uh, oh, uh, Cap, that dude was a machine. And then he goes, um, a lot of people want to wrestle a match. Not many people want to go to war. Yeah, I, I quoted that on my Twitter. That was a great quote. Let me see. I got that was it. was great. That was great. Let's see. I, I got the exact quote because I, 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 I re-listened to it so I could get it right. I mean, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but Burroughs just gets it. He gets it. So I, I'm impressed. Man, it's, yeah, he said, many men want a wrestling match. Very few men want a war. And he said that, generally speaking, but it was in reference to, to Metcalf. Metcalf. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that was a great quote, wasn't it? It was awesome. That was, that was probably I'm excited for tomorrow. One. I'm really excited for tomorrow. So you think he's going to wreck? He's, so obviously, stupid-ass um, IOC. IOC. Who am I thinking of? UWW. We got Burroughs and Gadea second round again. Quarters. No. Oh, it is quarters. It's quarters. Yeah, it's it's second top. So he's got the right quarters. Right. He's got Gadeev. Then he's got Azerbaijan in the semis. I think that's Hesanov. Hesanov, yeah. You know who got screwed is Abdurakmanov, who who he's from Clarion, remember, uh, wrestles for Uzbekistan. He's taken bronze before, but he's got Gadeev first round, and Gadeev's going to lose to Burroughs. So he's going to be freaking out of the tournament. That's right. annoying. Absolutely. Well, man, what else do we got? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? We can talk about other Olympic stuff. Give me your other favorite uh, Olympic uh, moments. You seen? How about the dive across the line? You know, so I talked to a number of people that know a little bit about tracker or whatever, and basically it's 50-50 in the people I've talked to whether or not it was smart to dive or not. A lot of people think that it actually slowed her down even though she won the gold. Really? She would have won it by even more if she didn't. But it's the first person to have their torso cross. So oh, I guess it, that was. So it is the torso. It's the torso. The first, oh. the first part of the torso that crosses wins. Um, and they did you hear what they they asked her? No, I didn't. They I, said, I, why'd you dive across? And I thought she was going to say, well, I used, my coach told me that I should do it if it's ever tight. She goes, I have no idea. I've never done it and I've never thought to do it. <laughs> sometimes you just gotta get it done she's like I just wanted that gold medal I'm like dude it's awesome so I just think it's a perfect illustration of just I'm not losing whether or not it was a smart choice you know I understand but just I'm not losing and uh, I thought that was cool real cool yeah that was that was awesome um, hey what do you think about the Michael Phelps obviously now listen I'm gonna say this he's the greatest swimmer of all time but now, I, would also, that, I would also say he's the greatest Olympian of all time. Okay, but so here's my question to you. Is, no, he does not deserve 23 gold medals. It's the only it's the only sport where you can compete in that many events. There's literally no it, other sport. It makes me mad, Ben. Listen, I, I mean, think he's the great I think he's the greatest swimmer of all time, and I think he's probably the greatest Olympian of all time. But how do you but how do you compare across those a wrestler, for example? Jordan Burroughs can only win one Olympic gold medal. That's just all he can win. It's not possible for him to win another one. So how, you know, so Michael Phelps went to five Olympics. He was the yeah. best swimmer in the pool for his sport in four of those five Olympics. Sure. No, he's the best swimmer ever for sure. Right. So 
So in a sport that has various strokes and distances, he's proven that he's so versatile in almost every aspect of the sport and dominant over such a long duration that I give him the best Olympian of all time. But I don't think that anybody should – it should be humanly impossible to win 23 Olympic medals. It really should. It's really absurd. I right? could see – I could see, I don't know, two or three medals per Olympics in the same sport because there's just different variables within the sport. I mean wrestling, it's only one medal, which is kind of yeah. cool to be honest. Um, I know there's other sports. There's other ways to measure. You know what I mean? Sure. But there's just way there's way too many measurements in swimming, in my opinion. Yeah, so way too many measurements. Let's see, he won one, two, three, four, five, six. What six golds in Athens? One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. seven, eight in Beijing. He won four in London. Um, but then you also got the relays in here. Yeah, uh, which are team events. I mean, you got the medley so relays. I the- just feel like it's so hard to even like comparing um, swimming to track and field. Track and field, I would say, what's the most you can do? Three, probably. Is that I no? Mean, I mean, Usain Bolt is the king of the one hundred and the two hundred, and he wins the relay. So he's going to do three, three, three in the last three Olympics. I don't know how many Carl Lewis. He's probably the most diverse track and field athlete. Well, he won a lo- long jump too, right? Long jump, 100 meters, and, and maybe the 200. I'm looking up Carl Lewis. He was probably the most versatile track and field athlete, wouldn't you say? Yeah. In the modern era? Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I would think, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not a track and field expert, but yeah, I would say. Yeah, Carl Lewis has 10 Olympic medals. Okay. Let's see what Usain Bolt has. Usain got, he had three in Beijing, the one or the two or the four by one. He had three in London. He's got eight. He said, right? He's got seven. So he's only won one. In, he's only right. So one then he's got the two hundred tonight, and then he's got the relay. So he'll have nine. Yeah. So and he'll nine. have nine golds. So he's won a hundred percent of what he could win. Right. Yeah. It's not yeah. really possible for a track athlete to do um, three distances. I don't think that's even possible. Right. So, so I, I give Michael Phelps the greatest Olympian. But not. how can you give it? Say over Usain Bolt. Say Usain wins the three. I think race. I think Michael Phelps is more diverse in within his sport. He was a great sprinter. He was great in distance, and he was great um, in multiple strokes. Like Usain, it'd be like you Usain, Usain doesn't Bolt. get to do multiple strokes. No, he could do the hurdles. Oh, that is way different. What do you mean? That's a different stroke. And he doesn't even choose to participate. I'm just I'm splitting hairs here, but sure. I think that there's you know the 110 hurdles, the 100, the 200, the 400. Those are those are close enough, you know. And he doesn't do them all. And yeah. I think Michael Phelps, 23 medals though, is ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Um, let's see what what else we got coming up from this. You think Michael? Place? Um, do you think uh, Usain Bolt is doping? Ooh, you know what? I asked someone who is informed in the track and field community, and they said they thought thirty to forty percent was their guess. I would have thought I've heard, been I've heard the same thing that they think. You know, my my friend said thirty forty percent ish in track is doping. Does that in knowing that? It, let's assume that that is correct. Do you think sure. Usain Bolt is? Um, I mean, I'd have to say yes. I guess one of the questions I would ask, and and wrestling I think is different because you have the evolution of the technical aspect of the sport, right? That's just what happens in wrestling. I figured out a new move. I start doing it. I have success. You figure out how to stop it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I figure out how to, to to beat what you how you stop me, and I have a new move. Okay, that's how wrestling goes. 
But track and field, the 100-meter dash has been the 100-meter dash forever. You start at a line, you run as fast as you can to the other side. How do the times keep going down? Right? I mean, is I could I can get the distances because you, you the training techniques have developed, but the 100-meter dash, it's so simplistic. You start, you go over there, and so how the times have keep coming down year after year after year. I got to think it's science. That's the only thing I can think of. I think it's science. I think that you know we're 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 perfecting them by a tenth of a second. You know, I mean, it's not like leaps and bounds. That's what was amazing about Usain's Bolt hundred meter world record in two thousand nine. He blew it away. Yes, statistic statistically speaking, that record should not have been broken based on a history of how the hundred meter dash has gone down yeah. year over year. Yeah, that record he wasn't supposed that time wasn't supposed to be run for another thirty years. Wow, isn't that amazing? Hey, Bolt just won the 200. Bolt won the 200? Just won the 200. Just won it. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the 100-meter dash, that, that's one where I think, yes, there, there's probably doping going on. Because, Do you think there's talent? Uh, there's an innate skill set in the 100-meter dash. Oh, God. Probably, the, probably, more, probably more than any other event in the whole Olympics. The hundred meter dash is defined by defined by your innate skill set. Oh God, there we go. <laughs> it is. I mean, listen. I don't, I'm not gonna say it's talent because I don't believe talent exists because it's it's hard, <laughs> this is unbelievable. It's hard to define. But you have innate. We gotta have an episode. But on. listen, the, the hundred meter dash is about as simple as you get. There's not very much toughness involved. Um, there's not very much perseverance involved. Persistence. A lot of those things aren't involved because it only takes nine seconds. That's right. it. All right. What? You give up? <laughs> I give up. I give up. Wow. Um, yeah, so I would say I would say uh, Usain Bolt has some very interesting innate advantages. Five, 9.58. Wow, he's fast. He is fast, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think we can wrap it up here, man. Gonna, that, that was a quick episode. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about some men's freestyle and then uh, probably the week after that, we'll do our top ten college. Uh, yeah, college I think episode. I think next week. Ben, I think since what do you? Th- well, we we can talk about this offline, but I think we should record Sunday night. What do you think? This week. Yeah. Why's that? Because I think we can chime in on the freestyle results and have people listen to it more on Monday and Tuesday than Thursday and Friday. Sure, I'm good with that. Actually, my other podcast I'm doing Sunday also, so I'm good with that. Cool. All right, you guys, have a great night. I hope you have a Defense soap, defense soap. We love you. you. I'm sorry that we were so ADHD tonight. It happens sometimes. (laughs) Enjoy your Olympics. Enjoy the men's freestyle starting tomorrow. See you guys later. See you, Tommy. See you, man. You are listening to the T. Rowan Funky Show and it is brought to you by Defense Soap. Defend what you've built. Tommy, I got to say, I tried these products. He shipped me a box. Uh, I love them. I've, I've had, uh, if you know me, you know I had, I've had ringworm issues for a long time. Um, so I, you know, I'm looking forward to putting these in my repertoire and, and hoping, uh, the ringworm does not come back ever. No doubt, Ben. And to top that off, the company was created by wrestlers. Guy Seiko wrestled at Cleveland State University. His son was an All American in Virginia. So these people really get it. They know what the wrestling community needs.